Have you ever been angry and so absolutely convinced you're right and then realize later you weren't? Have you ever been in that situation? Well, so for me, that, that happened about 10 years ago, back when I was a computer programmer. I was a web developer before I was a pastor. And, and so I was working for a boss, and I, for a really difficult person. And I just had a really hard time dealing with her and kind of some of her management styles. And, and I, I put up with it. I really tried. I put up with it for a long time. I really tried to make it work. And finally, I just got fed up. I got fed up with it, decided to quit. So I walked in there one Friday with my letter, giving them my one-day notice of resignation. That's how fed up I was. And so I left in a huff, said, I'm done, and I left. Because I was so angry. I was angry at her. I was angry at the other managers. I was, I was really angry at the VP for letting all of this thing happen and not dealing with it all. Well, then a really unexpected thing happened. The next day, or actually, no, later that day, the VP actually called me and said, hey, can we get together for lunch? I'm like, okay, I'll do this. And, and so we got together, met him up for lunch, and, and he started to explain to me how he was well aware of the, the issues going on with this particular manager. And he really liked my work. So he made me an offer. He offered that, he invited me, actually, to come back to work and report directly to him. Just bypass the manager, the director, the whole bit, report directly to the VP. So I said yes. Because honestly, I liked the work. Well, needless to say, <laughs> my, my former boss was quite upset when she saw me walk in the next morning. Um, and, but I did. I went in there, and, and what was interesting, though, and a phrase that stuck in my head that whole first day, after the conversation, and this is how he closed the conversation with me over lunch. He said, you know, things have a way of working themselves out. Like, is that some, like, fortune cookie proverb? What, what does that mean? Well, I went back to work with, with that in my mind, going, okay, at some point I'm going to understand that. Well, um, so my manager, my, my former boss, was really upset one, that, that the, the VP sort of undermined her, and she didn't really like me. And so it was, so about, about a, a week later from that, she was actually demoted, which apparently was something that was in the works for a while. And that's what he was hinting at. And then she was even more furious, and then about a week later, she quit. And as I reflected on all of that, I realized I had gotten the VP wrong the whole time. I thought he was part of the problem. And me kind of in all my huff and my heart, you know, when you get angry, and I'll and you, you, you start sitting in the, standing in the shower, like going through all the arguments, and you win every argument you have in the shower. Because you are brilliant in the shower, and everyone else is a moron. Um, but I got the VP all wrong. In my anger, in my kind of self-righteous anger, I thought he was part of the problem. But it turned out he was actually part of the solution. And there was a bigger picture that I didn't see, but he did. And it turned out he was actually on my side the whole time. And I didn't see it. See, that's what happens when we get angry. 
That's what happens when we get angry. We start thinking the worst in other people. We start assuming the worst in their words, their motives, their actions. Because, see, there's a truth about anger. We are never better people when we're angry. We are never better people when we're angry. Don't think for a moment that your anger could ever make you better. That's not how, that's not what anger does. Um, and see, that's why we desperately, as, as Christians, as Christ followers, we desperately need to learn how to be unoffendable. That's what this series is about, unoffendable. Uh, and so last week, last week I introduced you to, to the idea of choosing to be unoffendable. Choosing to sacrifice your right to anger. Laying down your sword and choosing sacrifice. And we talked about that last week. It's up online. It's in our podcast. It's in our app. You, you can check that out. Because, and I gave you this vision. I said, imagine. Imagine what if Christians were the most refreshingly unoffendable people on the planet. Imagine that. Just let yourself dream and bask in the wonderness that that could be. Imagine if Christians were the most unoffendable people on the planet. Imagine if you were the most unoffendable people, person, <laughs> in your family, at your job, at this church. Just imagine the difference that could be made all around. Now, this matters. This is important because your level of offendability reveals your level of maturity. I introduced that last week as well. And that's sort of an underlying theme in every one of these weeks is your level of offendability reveals your level of, of maturity or immaturity. So this week, I want to talk about a topic that is intricately related with being offendable or unoffendable, and that is righteous anger. Righteous anger. So what is it? What does it look like? And what's the problem with it? Well, so for those like two or three of you have, who have not felt righteous anger before, let me give you a definition. Okay, here's a way to understand it. It's an emotional reaction of anger against the mistreatment, insult, or malice to yourself or another person. That's a way to think about righteous anger. It's also closely associated with this feeling of injustice. There was an injustice done either to me or to somebody else, and I'm angry about it. That's kind of the heart of, of righteous anger. And among Christian circles... There's this idea, and this comes out of, and it's even advocated, that we should get angry over stuff that God gets angry about. Okay? God gets angry at sin, injustice, blasphemy against him. So God and Jesus got angry at these things, so we should get angry as long as we don't sin. And that's a very common teaching among churches, Christians. There are, trust me, there are a gazillion blog entries out there about this very thing. But there's a problem with it. Okay, so have you ever felt righteous anger? Okay, kind of go through your little, your little uh, anger file system here and think, have you ever experienced righteous anger? What did it look like for you? 
Well, here are some examples. So, for instance, you hear somebody at church is spreading rumors about you. You barely know them, and you get just furious because they're trash-talking your name, and you didn't do anything, and who are they to be saying those things about them? Well, I heard this about them, and, and you just get all in a huff because someone's spreading rumors about you. Okay? Or your boss, your boss makes a mistake, doesn't admit to it, and then makes you and your coworkers work overtime to fix his mistake. Maybe that, th th and you get really upset because you're the victim. You didn't make the mistake. Why are you having to work overtime and miss out on the, the season premiere of Brooklyn Nine-Nine because you have to be at work, okay? That's righteous anger. Uh, so there are other examples, maybe things you hear in the news. So just this week, we learned that a 21-year-old man um, kidnapped Jamie Kloss, a 13-year-old Wisconsin girl, killed her parents apparently to get to her, and, and held her in captivity for almost three months, and she just escaped. And it's an amazing story. But you might think, when you see, you see the picture of this 21-year-old this man, and, and you're angry, you're righteously angry for what he did to her and her family. Or maybe it's apparent hearing any number of the sexual abuses perpetrated by Bill Cosby, Kevin Spacey, Harvey Weinstein, the Catholic Church, anything of those, and you hear that, and you just get righteously angry for the victims, the women and the children who are victimized by men in power. Those are all places where we can experience righteous anger. Okay? And there's one thing, there's one thing that all of those have in common, one common thread, and that is the idea of justified anger. That is fundamentally at the root of the idea of righteous anger, that it is justified. This, either the person did something so heinous, or the victim is so innocent, or some combination of those. And the most heinous and the most innocent usually rile up the most righteous anger. And that's, that's the idea. And then we get extra riled up when we are the victim. When we are the victim, we feel like injustice has been done to us by something that your spouse said to you. Or something that your parents did that just drove you nuts. And so, so here's the question. you got to ask yourself, how prone are you to righteous anger? Come on, be honest with yourself here. If you can't be honest in church, where can you? Be honest with you. How, how prone are you to righteous anger? Because let's be honest, some of you are really good at it. You could teach a master class in righteous anger. It's such a part of you. Come on. So... And so when you experience, what do you do with it? What does it look like? How do you deal with it when that feeling, that emotion comes up of justified anger? Well, there is a big problem with the idea of righteous anger. There's a big problem about the idea of righteous anger that we as humans experience. It's a myth. It's a lie. So today we're going to do a little bit of myth busters here. Okay? And no, I don't have the beret. There you go. It took you a sec to realize what I did there. Because <laughs> I look a whole lot like that, especially the guy with the beret. Yeah. But yeah, I look like, yeah. They, why are they so angry at their pictures anyway? I don't know. But, so we're going to do a little bit of Mythbusters here. Because I, I want to tell you that human righteous, the human righteous anger is a myth. It is a lie. Okay? And there's a very simple reason for it. We cannot experience righteous anger. 
because we are not righteous. We are not righteous. The best we can muster is unrighteous anger. See, God can experience righteous anger because he is righteous. We are not. We can only experience unrighteous anger because we are unrighteous. Now, you can have slightly less unrighteous anger and slightly more unrighteous anger. But the best we as humans can come up with is unrighteous anger. Case closed, myth busted. All right, now, I know it's a lot more complicated than that, so I want to talk a little bit more. And, and you might not be convinced yet. You're like, okay, I don't buy it. Um, some of you might even be thinking, well, okay, what about social injustice? Shouldn't we be angry when people are victimized, when, when people suffer? Shouldn't we be angry? That Well, okay, I'm going to talk about that in two weeks. We're going to spend a whole Sunday talking about social injustice. So hold on to that objection, but just roll with me for today. Because today I want to focus on the reality that the idea of righteous anger is a myth. It's a lie. We cannot experience righteous anger because we are not righteous. So, and so today I, I want to help you understand that. And I got four reasons. I got four ways to help you understand why the idea of righteous anger, human righteous anger, is a myth. So first, first reason is this. Human anger does not accomplish God's goals. Human anger does not accomplish God's goals. Now, I mentioned last week that the, that the Bible consistently speaks against human anger. And one of the clearest passages is out of James 1. I wanted to read it to you here. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. What's amazing about this passage is it so clearly delineates between human anger and God's righteousness. And by implication, kind of God's anger as well. Okay? They are not the same thing. And human, ang human anger does not accomplish God's goals. Because remember, we are never better people when we're angry. Think about it. We are never better people. Okay? Have you ever listened to an angry preacher? They are not fun. There's very little life change that happens with angry preachers. Even ones angry over sin. They just come off angry. How about would you trust an angry cop to use good judgment? Uh, no. I want a neutral, stable police officer. I don't want an angry cop okay? or an angry soldier. Think about this. When you're angry, do you make better decisions or worse decisions? The outcome of your anger, do relationships get better or do they get worse? Are you more loving, more forgiving, more Christ-like? <laughs> Come on. None of us are. Not even close. Human anger does not accomplish God's goals. We should, we should give up thinking that anger can be a helpful tool toward godly ends. It doesn't work. Okay? Now, number two. Second reason why this is a myth 
is the conventional Christian logic is flawed. It is fundamentally flawed. So here's the logic that you will find in countless sermons, countless blog articles, hundreds, thousands of articles on the internet. Here's the logic. In the Bible, God got angry at sin. True. It, there is sin in this world. True. We are supposed to try to act like God. True. Therefore, as Christians, we should get angry at the sin in the world. False. Just because we experience the same thing as God does not mean we can respond in the same way as God. Just because God gets angry at sin does not say we should get angry at sin because it assumes that we can act like God. We can respond in the same way as God. And the problem is we can't because God can act in perfect love and perfect justice. We cannot. We can't even wrap our heads around that. We will never even be able to, to entertain that idea of perfect love and perfect justice until we are in heaven when all of our sin is removed and we can finally understand what that means. But we can't. It's flawed logic. It does not work. And when we, when we look at sin, I mean, let's be honest. When we look at sin, either somebody else's or we see something in the news, we can barely get past the way it makes us feel. We're angry at something done to us. We're outraged that this person would say that, do that, agree to that. We barely get past the way we, it makes us feel, let alone trying to understand an idea of perfect love and perfect justice. It's flawed logic. Third, third, righteous anger is really self-righteous anger. Let's, let's be honest. And so as I was prepping this series, I, I talked with my wife a lot. Because in our first, our first five, seven years of marriage, um, she, let's just say I was the recipient of lots of righteous anger. <laughs> she was an excellent at it. We, we joked that, that she has mastered that skill in years past. And she has also said that she is glad that others can benefit from her expertise. So she has a doctorate in family social systems and self-righteousness. Um, but, but thankfully, she abandoned that, and God has transformed her considerably, and I'm a whole lot happier now. I still make all the same mistakes, granted. <laughs> she just deals with my, my mistakes a lot better now. But it's true. It's true, because this idea of, of righteous anger is really self-righteous anger. And that's, that's what she shared. That's what she had to come to grips with. We think we're acting on behalf of God. Nah, <laughs> we're acting on behalf of ourselves, okay? We, and see, we as humans, we are masters at deceiving ourselves into thinking that we're right and other people are wrong. We are masters at self-deception because in our heads, we're all, we, we always come out ahead. We're, we're the good ones, they're the bad ones. We're the victims, they're the perpetrators. We, and we are masters at, at changing the narrative in our heads to make that feel like that is true. 
And we justify it. That's where the justified anger comes in. We justify it because we are the victims. That's why it's okay to be angry at this person. That's why it's okay to guilt that person. That's why it's okay to punish that person. Because what they did makes them deserve it. I don't deserve it. I'm the victim here. I'm the innocent one here. And that's, that's the narrative we start playing. We reconstruct in our head. But it's really self-righteousness. See, the Gospels tell us a story of the Pharisees who came to Jesus. And they wanted to set up a trap. They were constantly trying to trap him because they wanted, they wanted to kind of put him in his place. Show, show everybody that he wasn't, he wasn't a Messiah. He wasn't a great teacher. He, that he was flawed. And they wanted to kind of discredit him. So they were trying to trap him. And so they brought this woman who was caught cheating on her husband. And they brought, they brought her to him and said, should we, should we execute her by stoning? Okay, should we stone her? And see, in their mind, they're like, okay, if he says yes, then he's going to be killing this person. And people aren't going to like that. But if he says no, he's going to be violating our law. Because, see, that was part of the Mosaic law. That was the punishment for adultery. So the, it's not like they were asking something completely out of left field. It was extreme, yes, but it wasn't completely out there. And, and so they were all convinced that they were going to finally trap Jesus. And, and so they bring this woman to her. And then Jesus does the, the most curious thing. He stops. He starts fiddling around on the ground. And I can just imagine how uncomfortable it got. It got so uncomfortable, the Pharisees kept asking him and asking him. And he just kept, <laughs> I would love to know what he was doodling on the ground. <laughs> you suckers. <No. laughs> and then finally, he stood up and said, all right, all right. But let the first one who's never sinned throw the first stone. Okay, let's do this. Just the first of you who's never sinned. Go for it. Okay. <laughs> Dropping the rocks. And they did. They just walked off. Because they knew Jesus, he had flipped the script. He had flipped the story on them. They were entirely focused on this woman's sin. Did she sin? Yes. They weren't making that stuff up. Did she sin? Yes. But Jesus flipped it. And said, that's not most important right now. What's most important is you recognize your own sin. Pharisees, suckers. No, so it's true. And that's, that's, that's the issue with righteous anger. We completely ignore our own sin. It becomes all about the other person. And all about what they did to you. What they did to your family name what they did to somebody else. And abandoning righteous anger, it does not minimize what the other person did. Because now that's usually how, like that's kind of the, in this story, that's the uplifting part of the story. But you know how that story ends? Jesus looks at the woman and said, where are your accusers? And we're like, oh, the feel-good moment. And then he says, go and sin no more. Oh. I still sinned. See, it's not about letting the person off, 
letting them go, getting them off easy. That's not what it is. But it's about you acknowledging your own sinfulness. That was another thing I talked about last week. And so if you weren't here, listen to that. And I talked. That's one of the key components of being unoffendable. Okay. So let's go to the fourth one. Fourth is righteous anger distorts your view of God, yourself, and others. Righteous anger messes with your theology. Did you know that? It messes with how you see God. It messes with how you view who he is, who you are, and who other people are. So first, it messes with who you see God is. You see, when you're consumed with righteous anger, you take the role of judge, jury, and sometimes even executioner. Let's be honest. We completely ignore the fact that the Bible is 100% consistent that that is a role of God alone. God is the judge. God is the one because, because remember, he can do perfect love and perfect justice. We cannot. We cannot do that. So we take, we usurp that role from God. And we say, apparently, in, in, our, in our righteous anger, we think we are a better judge, jury, and executioner. We can do that. We should do that because God's not going to do it. So I better do it. And, and that's, that's what, what happens in righteous anger is we take God's role. So listen to the way that Paul put it in Romans 12. There's this amazing passage. Here it is. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not, overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome with evil, self-righteousness, but overcome evil with good, love, forgiveness, patience, peace, kindness, all of that. See, we think righteous anger is about righteousness. It's not. It's about anger. It's really anger. It's really being overcome by evil. But again, we are great deceivers of ourselves. So don't deceive yourself into thinking your righteous anger is about righteousness. It's not. It's about anger. And it's, and it's about being overcome by evil. Because trust me, we make lousy gods. Trust God that he's in the one in control. Second is this, this righteous anger, it distorts your view of who you are. See, when, when the, the righteous anger starts rallying up in you, all of a sudden, you're right. You're the victim. You're the innocent. And you are certainly better than the other person. There's not a single case of righteous anger where you do not think you're better than the other person. Because you say, well, I would never do that. I would never say that. They are so insensitive. They are so wrong. They are so racist. I would never be like that. And, and all of a sudden, you puff yourself up to really unrealistic levels. 
And, and, you, and quite simply, we make, we make ourselves better than the other person. And we think that justifies our thoughts, our actions against them. And it doesn't. So I'd like to introduce you to a quote. It is most likely about a 500-year-old quote, maybe from an English pastor by the name of John Bradford. There's some debate about its origin, but I'm going to go with this one. Um, so he was an English pastor and a martyr. And here's what he said. There, but for the grace of God, go I. There, but for the grace of God, go I. Now, this, this is, the story goes that he said this as he was looking at a group of prisoners being led to be executed by hanging. And he looked at them and said, there, but for the grace of God, go I. And what he's saying essentially is, were it not for God's grace, I could be one of those prisoners. I'm no better than them. It's not my work. It's not my personality. It's not my goodness. It's by God's grace alone that I'm not one of those prisoners being led to be hanged. There but for the grace of God go I. It's a humbling statement. If you really take that to heart, it is humbly humbling to admit that you are just as capable of evil as the person you're angry with. You are just as capable of evil. So I want to give you some practice, okay? So I want everyone to say this together with me, okay? It's up on the screen. Everyone, you ready? We're going to, we're going to practice this because we need the practice. Ready? Here we go. Say, there but for the grace of God go I. Okay? Now, I want you to think of a person you are upset with right now. Don't nudge them. You don't need to do that. <laughs> think of a person you're angry with right now. Okay? Say it. There, but for the grace of God, go I. Think of the latest injustice you've seen on the news. Think of the latest horrible thing. Pick any number of them <laughs> in, in the last year. Think of, think of the person... Okay? Now say it. There, but for the grace of God, go I. Oh, that was a little harder for you, wasn't it? Yeah. Okay, now think. Think of the last person you complained about on Facebook. Okay? Think about that person. Now say it. There, but for the grace of God, go I. This is a transformative statement. Because it fundamentally recognizes that we are just as capable of evil. I believe that any one of us is just two, three bad events away from doing something horrible. We are all capable of it. Don't fool yourself into thinking you're not. You, and you, you might not do the same sin, but you'll do one equally bad if not worse. So think of the prisoners walking by. There but for the grace of God go I. Third, third, this idea of self-righteousness, it distorts your view of who other people are. See, others become evil. They become the enemy. They, they become people deserving of contempt. And they should get Rattled, they should get raised on Twitter. Like Kevin Hart should have the Oscars uh, host 
taken from him. He deserves that. We start thinking people are deserving of not just legal punishment, but social uh, shaming. Okay? But we forget their humanity. We forget that they are created in the image of God. We forget that Jesus Christ died on the cross to forgive that very sin in them. That God loves them so much that Jesus Christ died for them. We forget all of that. And we forget that the worst of the perpetrators, they are a victim of the same evil that they commit. They are victims of the same evil that they commit. And that isn't a behavior, but that is a power called Satan. And they are victims of Satan, just like we are. Satan is the real enemy behind evil, not a person not an institution, but it's Satan. So now, remember that boss that I told you about earlier? Remember that boss? Well, after she quit and she left, turns out I actually worked at that company for another five years. And I had the opportunity to, to work under one of my favorite bosses I've ever worked in my professional career. And I had an amazing team that I worked with. And we had about three, four years of great work while all of us were together. And it was a blast. And to think I could have missed out on all of that. I could have missed out on all of that because of my self-righteous anger. And I didn't see the whole picture. And see, that's what happens when you're angry. That's what happens when, when we start embracing self-righteous anger is you miss out on the possibility of great relationships. You miss, out, you, you miss out on the joy of living within God's will. And you miss out on the blessings God gives for obedience. Because remember, God's love is unconditional. God's blessings are not. God's blessings are determined by obedience. And you miss out on that when we disobey God. And when you miss out, you miss out on building God's kingdom here on earth. And when we, when we spit anger, we're really building Satan's kingdom. We're not building God's kingdom. And so we miss out. We miss out on so much because we get wrapped up in ourselves. So I want to close with a quote from the book that inspired this series. And I talked about it last week. It's, it's called Unoffendable. And here's the quote. The thing that, that you think makes your anger righteous is the very thing you are called to forgive. The thing that makes you think that your anger is righteous is the very thing you are called to forgive. So church, I want us to be great forgivers even of those who have done us wrong and done great evil. I want us to be great forgivers because we have a God in heaven who forgive, 
who forgave us greatly. So be great forgivers with us today. Let's pray. God, thank you for that you forgive us. We don't deserve it. There's nothing we've done that has earned it, but you have forgiven us. You even said, while we were still sinners, you sent Jesus to die for us. God, let us be that. Let us live that out individually in our families, in our jobs, in our church. God, let us forgive even while others are still sinners. You have forgiven us of so much. Let us be great forgivers of others. And Holy Spirit, I pray for those Christians in the room, Lord, that you empower them. Lord, you empower me because we cannot do this on our own. This is nothing we can accomplish on our own power. Holy Spirit, but you can. You can transform us. You can raise us. Uh, you can turn us into great forgivers of others. So, Lord, let us abandon our desire to be offended and our right to hold on to anger. Let us pursue you without reservation. Love greatly and forgive greatly. In Jesus' name, the one who died so that we could be forgiven. His name we pray. Amen.